Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 26 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now, before we start this episode, I want to give a brief look at the teams that have already punched their tickets into the playoffs and the teams that are still fighting each other to the booth going into the last week of September. Among the teams that have clinched are the Milwaukee Brewers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Francisco Giants, who, at the time of this recording, are only a win away from 100 wins on the season. The Atlanta Braves are still trying to fend off the Philadelphia Phillies for the top spot in the NL East, and the St. Louis Cardinals are sitting pretty comfortably in the second wildcard spot, with the Cincinnati Reds still hot on their trail. In the American League, however, only the Tampa Bay Rays have secured a spot in the playoffs. The White Sox are only a win away from clinching the number one spot in the AL Central, along with the Houston Astros, who are in a similar situation in the AL West. Both spots of the AL wildcard are really still up for grabs, as the Boston Red Sox have a two-game advantage in the first wildcard spot, with the New York Yankees currently occupying the second spot. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners are breathing down the necks of these two teams, however, as they look for a late September spark to send them into the Fall Classic. Continuing on now with last week's episode, in which we talked about almost all of the variations, at least that I could find, of the sport of baseball, including cricket, stickball, rounders, and so on and so forth. But during that discussion last week, a few questions about the origins of baseball came up. Where did baseball originate from? Did it develop as a new version of rounders, using aspects of it to form a new game? Or was it just completely different? Were there other games that directly led to and therefore influenced the game of baseball as we know it today? So, over the past few days, I've been taking a deep dive into these questions and trying to find a sure answer. However, as you can imagine, it's pretty complicated. First off, we need to talk about one huge misconception that stares in the face of baseball historians everywhere, that is the Doubleday Theory. The theory states that a man named Abner Doubleday invented the game of baseball that we know today, all the way back in 1839 in a little town called Cooperstown in New York. It's actually the reason why the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is located in Cooperstown, as it was believed to literally be the birthplace of baseball. But is it really? Let's talk about this Abner Doubleday. Doubleday was born in 1819 in Boston Spa, New York, and became a Union Major General during the Civil War. He fired the first shot in defense of Fort Sumter and played a big part in the Battle of Gettysburg. He passed away in January 1893, and just 14 years after his death, the Mills Commission decided that the first scheme for playing baseball, according to the best evidence obtainable to date, was devised by Abner Doubleday at Cooperstown, New York in 1839. And that in the years to come, in the view of the hundreds of thousands of people who are devoted to baseball, and the millions who will be, Abner Doubleday's fame will rest evenly, if not quite as much, upon the fact that he was its inventor, as upon his brilliant and distinguished career as an officer in the Federal Army. Now, 
The weirdest part about this has to do with this Mills Commission that I mentioned, which was basically a group made up of star players as well as presidents of the National League, including a man named Abraham G. Mills, who at the time was the fourth president of the National League of Professional Baseball Clubs. In 1905, this commission set out to find the true origins of baseball. At one point, the commission sent out a publication asking for any American who had knowledge concerning the origins of baseball to come forward for a hearing. One of the gentlemen that showed up, named Abner Graves, same first name, which is kind of strange, was a 71-year-old mining engineer out of Denver, Colorado. He claimed that Doubleday invented baseball, as he stated that Doubleday was responsible for improving a local version of town ball while he was in Cooperstown. He even claimed to witness Doubleday calling the game baseball for the first time. Now, these claims were never actually investigated and now seem pretty heavily fabricated. However, in the way of promoting the sport as fundamentally American, it was accepted. Historians have been hung up on this point for quite a while because of just one little catch. You see, at no point during Doubleday's life did he ever admit to playing a big role in the creation of baseball. After his death, hundreds of letters and journal entries had been found with no evidence of Doubleday being involved with the creation of the sport. Instead, the commission is believed to have kind of wrongly attributed the origins of baseball to him. But after this theory was widely accepted, the belief that baseball was entirely American in its origin and grew up on American soil sparked a love for the game across the country in a somewhat patriotic way. That was until a man named Henry Chadwick stepped in. You see, Chadwick figured that there was at least some foreign influence in the creation of baseball, saying that it was derived from the English bat and ball game known as rounders. The two games shared a lot of the same rules, after all. And the funny part about it is that Henry Chadwick actually worked as an editor for Al Spaulding, one of the ex-star baseball players that was on the Mills Commission. Now, back then, Spalding ran a business that is actually still around today, even though they don't really do a whole lot of baseball stuff anymore. But at that time, they created the first baseball glove and the first baseball. In 1878, I mean, the same company published the first official rule guides for baseball. So, I mean, you can understand how Spalding and his company, with help from the Mills Commission, had so much influence over the game and ultimately the decision on the origins of the sport. And you can understand why Spalding wanted this story to be true. I mean, at this time, the United States was still patching itself back together from the Civil War. I mean, believing a purely American created game as our national pastime might have kind of helped with this repatriotism. During previous ceremonies held by the Mills Commission, audience members would frequently break out into chants of, No rounders! No rounders! I mean, the American public didn't want to believe in the 
foreign influence that their game had. But regardless, Chadwick stuck to his word, and instead of being ridiculed, his reputation actually grew. So much so that he was soon named the father of baseball. You see, Chadwick really did see the potential that this game had in becoming the national pastime, and saw the importance of it in American society and culture. Chadwick's arguments turned out to be more correct than that of Spalding's and turned Chadwick into an important stepping stone into figuring out the true origins of the sport. Also, just a little fun fact about Chadwick is that he's the only journalist currently enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So, you know, that's kind of (laughs) cool. But I think most importantly, because of this argument that Chadwick and Spalding had, I mean, it really started to slowly chip away at the real origins of baseball. Now, it's really difficult for me to make any big claims when trying to pinpoint exactly what happened in the creation of this sport. I mean, to be fair, there are historians that have spent days, months, years trying to find some sort of indication of the actual origin of baseball. Me, I've just been doing, you know, some research here and there the past couple of days. But regardless, I mean, I think that rounders and, well, cricket for that matter, both had pretty big influences on the sport of baseball as we know it today. Now, as I mentioned in last week's episode, those two are basic stick and ball type games and are most likely the direct ancestors of baseball. I mean, if you think about it, they have similar rules, and the general idea of the concept of them is pretty similar to that of baseball. Now, I would argue that it's almost an evolution of these sports, and not really the same sport, just kind of rebranded. I mean, I guess even continuing off of that, like, it's not really an Americanized version, but more of just a fast-paced and more challenging version of these ancestors with respect to them as well. But I think it's even more difficult to really pinpoint a location of where the game really started. I mean, we've heard a pretty good argument as far as Cooperstown is concerned, but what are some of the other arguments? And actually, as it turns out, the sport had a bunch of different versions as it started to spread through the rest of New York as well as Philadelphia and Massachusetts. So, why didn't the Philadelphia, or in that case the Massachusetts versions, really catch on? And to find this out, we have to move about 200 miles southeast of Cooperstown, into New York City, New York. Now you see, back in 1845, a group of New York City men founded the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club. One of the players, Alexander Joy Cartwright, would make some pretty big changes to the game, including having a diamond-shaped infield, complete with foul lines, and a three-strike rule. Not only that, but he changed the initial tagging rule. Instead of simply throwing balls at the base runners, you now had to tag them with the ball, which is pretty smart if you think about it. 
One writer, John Thorne, talks about some of the differences that the Massachusetts game had and how ridiculous and honestly kind of silly that they seem today. For example, you didn't have to stay on the base path while you were running. Therefore, you could just go sprinting out into the outfield with a whole crowd of fielders running after you, trying to tag you out. Now, thinking about this in today's game just seems hilarious. You know, and there goes Fernando Tatis Jr. rounding second and oh, it looks like he spotted Nolan Arenado with the ball. Tatis takes off into left field. Oh, now into center. Folks, he may go all the way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems a little strange, doesn't it? <laughs> now, I think the most important thing to point out is, I mean, yes, these rules in the New York version at least helped to set apart baseball from the other games of that time. And it really did make it unique. And I feel that many believe that this version of the game, you know, although it seemed inferior was kind of necessary. The Massachusetts version must have been an absolute spectacle to watch. I mean, fun for the fans and the players, but it all comes down to just this one big point. The game was trying to change from one that boys could play in a backyard at any point into something that would interest adults. And when it came to money and playing a competitive game, the New York rules just won out. Now, it may not have been a better game, you know, as I said before, but, you know, it was definitely a bit more of a profitable one. So, there we go. That's just about everything that I could dig up on the origins of baseball. And I really did try to find just about everything in the kind of short time frame that I had you know, from debunking that double-day theory to finding an alternate theory to, I guess, fill that one in, and then taking what I learned from those two and then trying to find, like, a single location for it. And, I mean, I'm sure, as you can still tell, I'm still not super confident with the history of early baseball. I just don't really feel satisfied with what I was able to dig up. I mean, it seems to me that baseball didn't really come from one place at one time. It more kind of seems like it was an idea that took off all around the country, that had a million different parts and variations that all eventually culminated into one fairly solid understanding of a sport that we call baseball. Now, I feel like this is a topic that you could continue to dig on for years and years, like I mentioned before, you know, before you could ever become truly satisfied. I mean, there's a lot to unpack and plenty of different angles to look from, but it seems like a pretty good way to waste a few hours here and there. Also, if you're interested in digging a little more into the early history of baseball, I highly suggest John Thorne's book called Baseball in the Garden of Eden. Thank you for listening.